0: Welcome to Thought Jar, a podcast run by high school students where guests share their unique perspectives on arts, education, society, and more. Today the topic is classic literature and we have an unprecedented number of four guests here. Would you say hi? hi. 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 Awesome. So let's start with a bit of self-intro. Samuel and Danny and Andy have already starred in our previous episodes. Today we welcome a new guest, Agnes. Agnes is in her beautiful 20s and is currently working as a high school teacher. Alright, so without further ado, let us dive right in. Since the topic is classic literature and we are all very literate and educated persons, let's start by introducing some of the classics you've read. Agnes, would you like to start first?
1: Um, I guess the idea that I had in mind, the work of literature that I had in mind to bring was um, Pride and Prejudice. And basically anything by Jane Austen, really. Um, but Pride and Prejudice was one of the first works that I read by Jane Austen. And... Um, I guess I came to it more by reputation. I heard all sorts of people talk about it, and of course it has a reputation for being a classic romance work in the movie world. But really, um, I did. I don't. I think the romance went over my head when I first read it. It was something else that really caught my attention in Pride and Prejudice. I guess that's all I can say for now. I'll save it for later. That sounds
0: fascinating. So Danny, what'd you like to share?
2: Yes, thank you. Um, so, like, the, the, um, the, the book or set of books I wanted to share was The Echo Saga. Like, it isn't very, like, um, widely known, and it, and I think it is quite underrated, but it, it is, like, um, yeah, it's very awesome. Cool. Would you tell
0: us a bit more about what it's about?
2: Basically, it's just all about fighting and fighting. And after three books, like... The like the the bad guys defeated, and then they take the fighting to like thirty years later, and they keep fighting and fight another three books, and the bad guy dies, and they take the fight to another like thirty years later, and fight another three books. But yeah, it's very um long and
3: interesting.
0: Fighting, yeah, my favorite kind of topic. Okay, so Samuel, would you care to share?
3: So the book that I I would like to share today is The Great Gatsby, and um needs not a lot of introduction. It's a book that is set in the 1920s, and it's about a very mysterious m- rich man. Um, and I will not give any spoilers here. I mainly came to the book also because of its reputation. It's a um, very famous book, and after I've read it, I uh, well, I will save it for later.
0: The Great Gatsby. Well, I'm sure we've all heard of that one. so. We go to our final um, guest, Andy. Would you care to tell us about your book?
4: Um, so, th- I want to share about um, the, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's about uh, it's about a company of elves, dwarves, and uh, hobbits, and and people, where where they set out to destroy an uh, an evil like rings forged by forged by like a dark lord um it's a it's a very it's a very brilliant and very inspiring f- fantasy work yeah uh, by by tolkien
0: awesome thanks for sharing so we have quite the diverse um kinds of books here we have romance we have um the well, realistic fiction, I guess. We have fantasy and we have fighting. The one th- the interesting thing is we all seem to be talking about fiction of some sort. So that brings me to my, well, you can't call it a thousand pound
1: question. How would you define a classic? I feel compelled to defend Pride and Prejudice and put a disclaimer out there for all the guys who are listening that it is not just romance thankfully um but i think what that ties into what makes it a classic pride and prejudice um i guess for me there's the fancy cloth cover bound edition but i think we all agree it's not the cover that makes the book um it does have very fancy covers but what makes it a classic um for me is that it resonates um, on a very simple level with all of its readers one doesn't have to be an extremely well-educated PhD holder to understand Jane Austen, um, although there are lots of PhD holders who study Jane Austen. um, And although Jane Austen herself was extremely well-educated, she read Machiavelli, she read The Philosophers of the Time. um, What makes her so special, I think, is her own life motto. Her own life motto for herself as an author is to carve exquisite art on just a few inches of ivory. She didn't have grand ambitions to become Raphael, Michelangelo. She just thought that God had given her a tiny bit of canvas to work on, and she was going to make it um, exquisite. And she has. I think she has covered her tiny little universe of just a few characters, and yet she captures them in all their vivid detail. Their sense of humor, um, the way they're laughable, their quirks, the way they talk. She imitates and mimics all of that with such realism. Um, And not only is she realistic, I think what makes her classic is also she taps into something human, into human nature in great depth, and without depth, I'm not sure one could have a classic. Uh, so that's my defense for Jane Austen and Pride, Pride and Prejudice. Why I think it is a classic. Um, I don't think you have to be a Hollywood movie to be a classic.
0: Yeah. Thank you. We don't hear that definition of classics that often, especially the part about how Jane Austen relates to people on an everyday scale. I think, well, for me, classic seems to be you know, high and mighty, you can't really reach it. You have to try and understand. So thank you. That's definitely a fresh point of view. Samuel?
3: This year, I'm taking a class on English literature, and we are reading a lot of the classic books from ancient Greek to modern realism. And my teacher defined classic this way, which I rather, uh, rather agree with. She's, well, not exactly classic, but great books, as she say. Um, according to her, great books are characteristic of a time in history and of the people across geographical regions. However, uh, The Great Books also is deep enough, as Agnes says just now, to reach a universal theme, and universal idea that is relatable by all people across different times and uh, different geographical regions. So I do agree with that definition of a great book, and I do think um, The Great Gatsby qualifies as that. It is very exemplary, of the, um, of the idea that the lost generation, um, so-called, of Hemingway and F.S. F. 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 Fitzgerald at that time, um, and it's very characteristic of the culture of the 1920s and 30s, but it also reaches down to, um, to investigate and question um, deeper themes about um, ultimately what is justice, what is the meaning of life, Interesting, thank you,
0: Samuel. I think I can see a bit of a theme growing here, so let's just keep going, Andy.
4: I think, um, what, defi- what makes I uh makes Lord of the Rings a classic, I think it's partly because of its um, it's like how imaginative and and how like and and uh, yeah, how and how grand the the whole um the whole world building is, the um, so. Um, Tolkien has spent um, so many time, like so much time, that to like to um, to design this um, this Middle Earth, that um, and and he has he has he has thought out all like its history. It's uh, all the way from the creation of this universe, uh, and then the, and the like the the rise of the different races and how like how evil how evil got like got, got hold of this land and for the book itself which is um which is said like pretty pretty like far from the like pretty far into the into the history of this this world uh for for like the events of the book the aside from the w- world I, I really appreciate Tolkien's plot and how he how the most um kind of like the most uh insignificant and like the most a ordinary character like um, the which is the hobbits um, how they can with their determination with their with their bravery their their character how they can also change the um, course of the world on, on the other hand this trilogy also shows um, sometimes how how the greed of the greed of in human in nature or human it, how you can bring out the worst in a lot of people in, in, in people even though it's um, It's also quite shocking. A classic is usually, there's a lot of different aspects where it does like very profoundly um, explores.
0: All right. Thank you, Andy. I'm sure most of us here have read Lord of the Rings, but I've never thought about it that way until you mentioned it, how difficult it is to create a world of such grand scope and detail. And the fact that he created those different races, but still put humans into the plot, is really something to think about. And we come to Danny. How would you define a classic?
2: A classic is like um you see you see some some books are like um they're short but they're interesting or, or perhaps they're short and uninteresting but but like they're like some books are short and interesting and some books are long but like they they're like just talking talking and then they have like like a grand battle at the end but in the like the like the Echo Saga they they're like they're, they're they're like they're battling like every chapter. Yeah, they're like they're like there's somebody dead every chapter, so it's a classic.
0: Well, I've certainly never heard classics defined that way before, but mm-hmm. could be very valid. So you would say classic depends on how interesting and how densely packed the story is.
2: Yep. Yes. Yes.
0: All right. So next question: Do you think there is such a thing as an instant
1: classic? I think there could be, if we define classic as something that resonates with a lot of people and it stands the test of time, it doesn't have to just emerge two centuries after the author is dead. Um, I think in the books that we've all mentioned, they've sort of stood the test of time. I guess we could wait another thousand years to see if Jane Austen is still around, but starting from the time, cl- very close to when the author was living, they were already publishing and selling quite well. Lord of the Rings, The Ray Gatsby, I think even Jane Austen, she started to gain more and more fame toward her later years, but definitely before she died. Um, yeah, so I think there could be. But I'm pretty sure that the essence of a classic um, doesn't rely on, on how quickly they're, they're discovered. Thank you. Would anyone like to add to that?
3: Yeah, I I do agree with Agnes that the classic, um, what makes a classic a classic is in itself not um, apart from it. It's not like um, you need to have some expert rated as a classic or something. Um, I, think, I do think, and I do agree, and I do think that a classic's worth is within the book itself. So yeah, I think there could be an instant classic if it... Um, if it is, if it qualifies all the criterions of a classic.
1: I think on just going off of what Samuel said, it's very likely, because I've heard of some people who are so um, snooty about books, if a book's on the New York Times bestselling list, I'm not going to read it because it's going to die. I mean, a lot of books that are on the New York Times bestselling list, definitely they disappear after a few years. But maybe... One of the books or two of the books or some of the books there that are really popular, they could still be popular in 100, 200, 300 years.
0: Interesting. So we've mentioned that classics don't have to be defined by experts and they don't necessarily have to, yes, be rare. They don't have to suddenly um, rise into popularity after the author is dead 100 years Um, which is the case for a lot of books, actually, and quite a pity. So yeah, so here's another interesting question. Does the idea of classics make people enjoy reading more or less? Because, well, I don't know if it's the same with you guys, but I've sometimes heard people refer to classics like, oh man, my teacher assigned me this, this great Gatsby and I have to read it now, and write reading comprehension questions. But that doesn't have to be the case with us here because I seem to notice that we're all talking about our favorite books with lots of interest and passion. So, so yeah. Agnes, would you like to answer that?
1: I'd love to, because as a teacher um, of English, my professional job is to assign books to other people. And hopefully, I assign books that I think are worth reading and stand the test of time, aka classics. So I do see a lot of eyeball rolling. (gasps) Miss Agnes assigned this book to me. I think it's actually been proven that choice is part of the enjoyable reading experience. So I guess in schools, if we assign classic books that are classics, or we put together a tome and we call it the classics of American literature, the chances are very high that students, regardless of the value of these books themselves, will um, instantly disregard the book or dislike the book or have less of an enjoyable experience just because a teacher assigned it. So I don't think it's the fact that classics make Um, reading classics or the idea of classics make people read the book more or less, but it's more the context in which people meet classics. It's often through a class, they're forced to read it for an assignment, or maybe they read it because it's on a list and they want to impress people. Reading to impress people, reading to do homework, these readers are not going to enjoy the books they read. Um, So I think, I would love a world where classics are recommended, um, but also not compelled. Um, Or maybe we could just change the whole school system to be one of uh, teachers enthusiastically sharing books with students, and all students always reading their teachers' recommendations. But I I do think the idea of classics, just because of school, because of lists, because of people trying to sound impressive, it can be a turnoff to real lovers of books. Have you guys felt that way before? Like of I know I felt afraid of certain books because t- someone told me they were classics.
3: Yes, definitely. I, I do definitely feel that way. Um, I I don't know how many times I have read online and searched for you know a book list recommended by great authors, you know, with all the classics and the uh, hundreds or thousands of books that you have to read before you die. Yeah. And yeah, I I definitely feel the pressure to read those books in my spare time other than the books that you know I may actually be interested like for example like Percy Jackson or Harry Potter you know I I do feel the pressure to read I don't know like Homer and uh, Frankenstein these books that are um, defined more as classic uh,
4: to me more of, more of more of like when i heard a book is like very, is classic it's um is recommended in a lot of like yeah it's recommended by a lot of people and well I think i I would like kind of have a higher like expectation for it but uh, well I, I I'll also kind of like put more thought into into it than reading like a ran, random book I guess I'll kind of think on it more uh, more like during a read and afterward um so but that is only my my opinion, like what what I feel about about the tag of classic on some on some books. Yeah, but w- what I think about this is that um I, f- I don't think people should enjoy a a book more or less or like um yeah or be- because of like whether it's a classic or not. In- instead, we should look at all like um all the all these books like objectively, like without being. In- affected by what other people say about it who knows you might like a, a book that is like very un- very like um, unpopular or like unknown you might find you might find value in it
3: yeah i i do agree with what andy andy says that having these book lists of these classics that you definitely have to read do diminish these books do make it um uh th- more difficult for people to enjoy these classic books um and i would like to add to that um, with a thought from a podcast that Agnes had um, shared with me, which um, if I miss anything, maybe she could um, fill us in later. So I think classics are often uh, very rich in context. They have a lot of actions packed into them. And they have you know, a lot of Um, great ideas packed into one single book or maybe multiple books and which makes them extremely rich and that kind of richness is not for every day it's not like every day that or every day of the week that we can enjoy a classic and to get all of that or maybe just the majority of that richness um, out of it to you know nourish our own souls Um, so I think um, there is a season in life for classic, and there are other seasons in life um, for books that are not so classic. That um, you might just want to read just for pleasure, and not for, uh, not for, n- not for getting a book off a book list.
1: If I could just share a very embarrassing story about myself to demonstrate what um, Samuel has said is true about seasons when I was 13 I picked up Jane Eyre not because I was really equipped to read it but because I had heard all about how um how much of a classic it was and I knew that there was a girl in it so I thought classic with a female heroine I'm in and I plowed through the whole book mystified most of the time as to what the point of this book was frustrated by the sadness and bleakness and um bizarre turn of events in the book. I set down the book after I plowed through every page and did not touch it again for another decade. I just uh, had ruined the experience because of the wrong reasons um, for which I picked up the book. I picked it up to tick off a bucket list, say I had read Jane Eyre and to boast to other people. Um, but in a different season of my life when I was older, and could relate slightly more to what the heroine actually had to go through. A little bit of more maybe friendship experience, relationship experience, more traveling the world and living on my own experience. When I read the book again, it was so different. I lost myself. I wasn't reading for a purpose. Um, Yeah, when my mom told me the first time, she told me I was not old enough to read Jane Eyre. I was skeptical. But now I, I believe her. Thank you, Agnes.
2: So, um... Everyone's like very enthusiastic. I can see that. I don't know like about like like I, I don't know. I don't know much about like what other people think, but when I see somebody's refer to a book as classic, then like I'm just like entrapped from the start. Like I, I hear the word classic, and I'm like, then I have to read this, you know. Because like, but then if it it, it turned out to be like not so um up to my expectations, I would, like, blame the guy for, for like, re- recommending the book.
0: Well, Danny, I'm sure we can all relate to that. Okay, so, final question. Do you think classics are a subjective experience or
1: something that has to be on the best-selling list? Where I went to college, um, students who are very ambitious will go find their professors in their offices before they graduate and say professor so-and-so please give me a list of books I should read before I die on the other hand in America there are also colleges where you can take courses um, on the newest hip-hop artist the latest um, maybe st- the Twilight Saga there could be a college course on the literature of Twilight Stephanie Meyer the vampire romance cheesy novel um, I think that both of them fall out of love really quickly with books. The author, the person, the reader who says, tell me a list, tell me what's a classic, you define it, I believe there's a definition by the experts, and refuses to engage in the book for himself. I don't think that person could really love reading for very long. On the other hand, the person who says, anything i read if i like it if it makes me cry if there's a cheesy scene where the male hero hero and the female heroine finally marry at the end i think that's great well they're going to miss out on the truly awesome books that exist out there the ones that were written to really make one cry from a deep place um so is a classic defined subjectively or objectively i personally believe that there are objective standards of good goodness, truth, beauty. But I don't think that all of us are machines that tap into that the same way or can recognize it instantly when we see it. I know myself from my own foolishness. And there have been many good, true, and beautiful books that went completely over my head. I was just wasn't equipped to recognize the goodness, truth, and beauty in there. And I, I think there's also the danger when we say there's an absolute goodness, truth, and beauty That we mock or make fun or make little of other people's experience with goodness truth and beauty if that person has found goodness truth and beauty in whatever limited capacity he has for those things in sherlock holmes in harry potter well that book may not be a classic but i would definitely acknowledge the value of that book whereas i think the danger with objectifying it as objective or subjective is usually in the way we treat the people who read those books, right? Isn't that why we say it's subjective or objective? We fight wars with each other over what's really a classic because we think their taste is not good enough. But I love what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Thin Little Book, An Experiment in Criticism, where he says that if if there's anyone who has found anything good in any book, um, he would not rush to condemn that book um, but he would keep an open mind and then acknowledge that person's experience. Yeah. Those are my two cents on this controversy.
3: Yes, I do agree with Agnes that, um, that I agree that there are some books, there are... A- Um, Maybe more than one list, a lot of lists of books that many experts, many um, professors or um, thinkers do agree that these books are are really good. And I think these books are indeed very, very good and very well written. They have their depths and they have um, a lot of value. But I also agree that classics to individuals are, in fact, quite subjective because reading in itself is very subjective. Um... I think my teacher said something in class. It, this might be a rewordman of C.S. Lewis, I think. Yes. Um, I, I think what, uh, what she says is that books enhances reality. Um, it enhances the experience that, that you had by putting new insight, new understanding of your feelings um, to help you better explain yourself and to understand yourself, how you're thinking, how you're feeling back then. So I think literature in itself, reading in itself is very subjective. Let me, uh, give an example from Great, The Great Gatsby. So I was reading The Great Gatsby and after I finished, I was, I was, I was quite baffled because, because, um, many of the themes, many of the, um, many of the events that happened in The Great Gatsby, I had not experienced these before. I had not, I, I have never got married. I have, Um, never driven before, and I have not, uh, drunken a lot of wine before. So I, I can't really, I can't really relate to what, um, the book says about a lot of these subjects. So I think that The Great Gatsby, although it is a classic, it is definitely a classic, um, it might not actually be a very fulfilling reading for me because I had not experienced them. But, say 30, 40 years from now, if, if I pick up The Great Gatsby again, I might have um, new realization, new understanding, new insights into the book, which I think it's, um, I had, I would have these new insights because I would experience new things in life, things that I've never experienced before that the books tells and betters help me understand.
4: First of all, I I think I very much agree with both uh, Agnes and Samuel. Um, well, except except the part about Sherlock Holmes not being classic. <laughs> I
1: was joking. <laughs> I, I think Sherlock Holmes and Harry Potter are pretty awesome.
4: Yeah, I, I'm just kidding. Actually, I can, I can tell. I think the the list of like say those lists of classics that out, out there. That, um I think they're 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 helpful because um, because of the like. Um, because it's, it's a it's a like a general list of books that like many people has found a lot of value in it and but ho- however um it should not be taken as like a like the absolute uh, absolute standard of like the good books these are the good books and the others are not it's, it's not it's not really like that um books are written and read by people who have vastly different like um, experiences different, different worldviews, and they will, um, they will of course like experience the books differently. Uh, like Samuel's experience with uh, experience with the Great Gatsby, um, I I can see how how different, like say even the same person, but in a different like age, different phase of life, they might read, read the same book, read the same book um differently. I think the um, objective experience of a of a classic of a, of any book it's, it's it, it is it's, it's not the like the most imp- like it might not because our objective experience might not be it, it, it might it might turn out to be like a a false uh, or like a a like an unconstructed or something yeah and basically uh, we can be wrong what, what, what I'm trying to say is um it doesn't mean that our our understanding of a book, like our own understanding of a book, is invalid. It's just um, it's helpful to also hear other people's um, like their their um, their perception, their
2: um, what what they see in, in, in a book. Well, I think um, the classic thing um, it's subjective. Yeah, because like um, I think even the New York Times are so, are like so subjective, right? Like they pick the books they think are awesome, then that is so subjective. So there is no objectiveness in like the realm of books and stuff like that.
1: Um, just a quick response to that. I I think to make our um, conversation maybe more accurate, I I would agree with you that there's no objective in maybe book lists or the. Um, the definition of what's a classic what's a classic that's a subjective experience but i i think we all can agree there's an objective um, wonder to books that exist beyond any one person's imagination that it's out there ready for all to experience
0: thank you agnes i think that puts a wonderful conclusion to today's episode and dear listener thank you thank you so much for listening this far and i am pleased to announce that there. There is no moral for today's episode. There is no concluding advice I can give you. All I can say is, I know this conversation has been so wonderful because all of the guests present today, they not only read, but they think and they feel and they know when they read. And I think that is what makes reading and conversations about reading so wonderful. Thank you. Keep tuning in for the next episode.